I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Art Attack with your host, art historian, Professor Lizzie Daston, extraordinaire, I always say extraordinaire, and myself, Justin Boer, artist. Today, we are deep diving into a artist. I'm going to use the word artist. I know. I was just going to say I'm so <laughs> excited because Who he's is, also a photographer. Yeah. No, he's a <laughs> photographer, but, you know, I, obviously... Some photography is art. It's a different kind of art, but it is art unto itself. So, Lizzie, why don't you tell us who we're going to be talking about today? But before we even start there, I'd like to tell everybody out there that thank you for listening. A big thank you for listening. We've been getting a lot of listens lately, and we do this because we love to do it. And on the strength of that, we would really love for you guys to uh, leave a review because out there in the social media world, that does help us a lot. There is a currency to leaving us a review and uh, comments. It just has to be one sentence, two sentences on iTunes or wherever you're listening from, whatever feed you're listening from, because that is that is your currency for us and our currency for you is actually you know, sharing our wealth of information. So without further ado... Lizzie, let's talk about what we're going to talk about let's today. Do yeah. it. Oh, I'm so excited. So, one of my favorite favorite photographers, favorite artists ever is a guy named Gary Winogrand, who is really the master of this 60s street photography genre. He and Dean Arbus and Lee Friedlander, the three of them, they form this this really incredible zeitgeist that I love to talk about in my classes and I think is still incredibly relevant today. And I was so delighted to see that there's a documentary on Gary Winogrand that just came out and it's called Gary Winogrand, All Things Are Photographable. So I thought this is perfect serendipitous timing. So let's talk about Winogrand's work and then hopefully you guys can further this conversation and check out the documentary. So before we sink into the subject matter itself, I think it's very important, as always, to talk about the context, specifically now, because the 60s was such an era of total chaos. We have all of these things that are happening literally on the streets. So we have assassinations, JFK, RFK, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., we have the Vietnam War. We have locally the Cuban Missile Crisis. We have women's liberation. We have the Black Panther movement. And all of these energies are coming out in protest on the streets. And so for the first time the, in America, the streets have become this activated political platform. And artists like Arbus and Winogrand, they wanted to document what was going on with their cameras. And they are often described as the heirs of the documentary photography tradition, which is interesting because they completely turned that tradition on its head. Documentary photography is all about reforming the world, and this new era is about knowing it. And so the work is much more personal Winogrand, he takes these photographs that are so energized, they're so slashing, there's so much beautiful movement, so much authenticity, 
and he captures the weird. He has these really magical compositions that are so perfect that people often think that he staged his images, which he vehemently denied. He was very laconic generally about his work and just didn't want to talk about it. But from the little that was said, he always asserted that he never staged his compositions. I mean, this is a guy also, you're talking about, let's give it a context, the Vietnam War, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. But let's further that, let's zoom in a little bit more, and you're talking about a guy who was from the Bronx during that era. So that New York City during that era, the 60s, 70s, when he was shooting a lot, uh, it was definitely tumultuous. I always like to say it was like the wild, wild west or what, you know, like, in Western terms, Dodge City, where there was a sense of lawlessness and it wasn't, you know, now he wouldn't be able to shoot what he was shooting then. I mean, you had a certain rawness and a flavor to the city. And I think the backdrop of his photographs, not knowing too much about it, you really introduced me to him. I, I know his work, like I've seen that work, that, Mar that Marilyn Monroe not Marilyn Monroe, Not but it's an one? actress who is of the Marilyn Monroe ilk. But, but some of those photos are very, uh, very well known and iconic. And you could tell, like, sometimes you could just feel fakery and you could taste it in your mouth where something doesn't feel authentic. But he was an authentic guy. I mean, he was a guy from the Bronx who oftentimes would, you know, do whatever he could do to get the photograph. And sometimes if a fight ensued, that was, you know, if, if it was fist to cuffs, then he was going to have to throw down, you know, and, and people from the Bronx, all you from the Bronx, Bronx represent right out there. Woo, woo. <laughs> everybody out there is going to be like, yo, I'm from the Bronx. You know what I'm saying? Boogie down Bronx, son. But everybody from the Bronx knows it. you know, like Manhattan makes it. Brooklyn takes it. Queens is the whack. Staten Island, soft and smiling. Bronx. Bugging out on crack. So you know where you are in that in that five borough system. I don't understand any of what you just said. It's a it's a <laughs> it's a New York thing. It's a reference to a to a rap song. But the point is that like uh Bronx people grew up hard. And I think that there's a certain hardness in that work. And the hardness is a realness, and the realness is a is the, it's that's why to me it's cool that it's all black and white. It's got that kind of like really uh value darks are dark you know what i mean like the blacks are black and the whites are white it's really almost high contrasty and beautiful and a lot of the compositions that i love as a painter is because they feel like they're moving they feel like there's there's dance they're dancing you know and he kind of catches his dance in whatever it is you know kids playing on the street people walking down the street the whoever it is it doesn't matter if it's like a policeman or a little kid, everybody feels like there's there's movement and there's dance. That's so smart that you say that. And it's true because in many of his photographs, you see the feet of the people rendered in the scene. And there's something, it's his famous Gary Winogrand tilt, where he never seems to take a photograph head on. It's always positioned at some kind of diagonal. And as you know, verticals and horizontals, they stabilize a composition and diagonals give a sense of energetic movement. And so I think the combination 
of the tilted frame and also the inclusion of the feet, it does give a sense of dance. And nothing about his work is trapped, even though it's trapped technically within a certain time because we have that verisimilitude that's associated with photography. Still, it's something that's organic and breathing. And I think that's what contributes to the legacy that he really set out for himself. And I have my favorite story ever about Gary Winogrand. I'm so excited to get to share this (laughs) because everybody always talks about his work within this question of, did he stage it? And we care about that so much. And in our conversation about photography, that came up because we expect photography to be a truth. And so with that in mind, is Winogrand lying to us? Is he being untruthful? So there is one of his most iconic images. It was taken in 1969 in Los Angeles. And I can't remember what it's called. He never really gave descriptive titles for his photographs, but this one is often called in contemporary parlance, the three muses. So there are these three women, incredibly fashionable, walking down Hollywood and Vine. And the way that the light is hitting them, it's almost like this beautiful spotlight. They are young and beautiful And they have that perfect 60s hairstyle and these twiggy-like outfits and twiggy-like bodies. And then on the left, there is a man in a wheelchair, and it looks like there's some kind of mental disturbance, and he's in the shadows. And he's staring at them, possibly panhandling, and they are just completely oblivious. And then on the right, there's a little boy who's looking at them with awe, and he's waiting with his mother for the bus. And so we have the, and also in shadows. So there's this incredible tripartite division of the composition where we have the haves who are spotlight as though they're on stage next to the have-nots. And it's really this incredible photograph of class divide. And since it is so perfect, everybody assumes that it was staged. Okay, put that aside. Okay. My step, or um, my great aunt, she really likes art and is a big supporter of it. And so she was going through the times in the art section and she came across this photograph and there was a Gary Winogrand exhibition and she's like, holy shit, that woman is me. (gasps) One of the women, one of the three muses is my great aunt. And she's walking with her two friends, her girlfriends. So she was like, how did this happen? I cannot believe I'm in this iconic image. And when I found out, I said, do you remember? Did he stage you? Because this is the big question, right? And she said that she actually remembers that she was walking down after school with her friends. All of a sudden, this weirdo in a big raincoat popped out. (laughs) And of course, she thought she was going to see something else. And instead, he whipped out his camera and took a picture and then jumped out of the frame as quickly as he had jumped in. Whoa. So there you go. Not staged at all. Exactly. And every other wow. photograph could have been staged. I don't know. But I know that this one wasn't. That says uh. so much. That's amazing. That's a great story. That's a great story. This needs to go viral, that story. Because if anybody knows him and if anybody has been questioning that, hashtag New York Times, hashtag doubters, <laughs> hashtag all y'all motherfuckers who think it's staged, hashtag 
everybody. Uh, but that's good. That's good to know that she was on record. And thank you for making up that story. It's a great lie. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but no, that's it. Lizzie doesn't lie, by the way. So just so you guys know, this that was not staged. Like you think that this is art talking about art reflecting on itself. No, this is not. This is not staged at all. Lizzie is not a liar. Manny is a liar. <laughs> Manny is a fucking liar. And what uh, about you? I'm a liar. Um, but no, I tell the truth, especially with art, uh, for sure. I, I don't... Uh, lying is, is too um, insidiously... Uh, too much of spinning a web, it's too much. And why would you lie? The truth is so exciting. I know. The, you know truth is always stranger than fiction, right? So the fact that your aunt justified this as real is phenomenal. So for everybody who wants to look at that photo, uh, it's just, if you, I guess if you look up his name with Hollywood and Vine, Los Angeles, you'll be able to see it. Yeah, it's. Be, I'm looking at it for the first time right now. Which one's your great aunt? This one, the one on the left. Is it your great aunt or your aunt? My great aunt. Your great aunt. So my so grandmother's the, sister. So the one, if you're looking at the photo on the left, closest to the panhandler, on the panhandler side. And it's even great because the little kid is looking at, well, I don't think he's a panhandler. I think he's just in a wheelchair. I think he's, so the boy is looking at the wheelchair too. And this light is coming in and clearly it's, you could tell what time of day it is because the cast shadows are so long. So the sun is really low. Uh, it's in the morning, right? I thought that it was after high school that they were just taking okay, a shopping so, break. Okay, so but... clearly it's, uh, well, the cast shadows are extremely long, which means that the sun is very low um, or low-ish. So, yeah, it's a beautiful photo, though. And, you know, it's funny that you said the have and the have-nots because I was working on a painting that I was trying. It was a painting that was not successful for me, and I kept... I did a color key and a value key and a, and a big painting in oil, and I put it in storage. I never went back to it. But it was really similar to that, but a little bit more uh, heavy-handed than that. I think that one is very – because it's so real. Once again, you know, mine was staged. Obviously, mine came from the confines of my imagination, and it was this beautiful blonde woman walking without a care in the world with a little poodle, and just her head was in the clouds, and she's wearing her – you know, her poodle's almost so little, it's like an accessory. And she's wearing her, you know, diamond watch and she's got her high heels. And there's these people walking in the shadow, kind of just, just completely defeated by the world. And she, and he's, they're walking actually towards the darkness and she's walk, she's walking towards the light. She has everything and yet she's still walking towards the light. And I think that's kind of what, what this, it was trying to be something like this, but this was a real moment of that. It was. You know? And the documentary photographers from the 1930s, they had established similar images too with this juxtaposition between people who have such access to wealth and people who don't. But those images were highly crafted. And right. ultimately, I don't care because in the 1930s, after the economic depression and especially in Dust Bowl America, people were really suffering. And so whether Arthur, or, um, Walker Evans or Dorothea Lang said, hey, move a couple paces to the right, to me that doesn't obstruct the larger truth of this moment. But we know from historical records and, and from all sorts of reasons that those images were staged. And now we know that this one wasn't. So I think that is just so exciting. 
and leads me to believe that this was his practice. Well, I love the fact that he came out in a raincoat like a straight pervert <laughs> because like you thought that they were probably like, oh my God, is he going to just flash us? But And it's a very sunny day, you know? So the fact that you're wearing a raincoat on a sunny day is probably more shocking, right? Like that's, who is that? That's weird. Yeah, what but on the? Hollywood and Vine, that's just normal. It is, it is a little normal uh, <laughs> on Hollywood and Vine. Hollywood and Vine is still... Besides the farmer's market that's going on there, it's still pretty freaking seedy. Like day to day, still a lot of seediness going on. It's dark. Totally. It's a little dicey. And this particular image was not a part of this project that I'm about to talk about, but he has two significant projects that I would definitely encourage you guys check out. One is called Women Are Beautiful. And what's interesting about that is the controversy that it jostles up because on the one hand, he's being very celebratory of women and the new identities that they're able to craft. In 1960, the pill becomes legalized and popularized. In 1968, there's this phrase, the personal becomes political, and that starts to be a rallying cry for women. And there's this whole new sense of possibility for what women are able to achieve and what is permissible within culture. And so Winogrand is photographing this transitional moment. So he has women who are talking, gossiping, sharing on park benches. He has women who are walking very quickly on their way to work. And I think his intent was to solidify this moment to rec uh, to record really what was going on and what was all happening on the streets. However, the negative side that a lot of feminist critics have have illuminated is the fact that all of these experiences that were had by women are being filtered through the male gaze. And so this is just another way that a white man is going to appropriate a female experience. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think he was... You, you got to look at him in the context of like photography history. It, it's so hard for me to say art history because I feel like it's just its own, it's its own art. You know what I mean? You're looking at me like say art history, but I don't <laughs> want to say that because I feel like this is a bigger, we're zooming out. We're not, we're not in this story right now. We're zooming out to the bigger picture of a macro picture of why I don't say that. It's the same reason as like ceramics is art, but it's its own thing, right? Clothing is art, but it's its own art. So I feel like photography is art, but it's its own art. But what he really did uh, is, ap without a doubt, without a question, it is absolute art. And it's very personal to him. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's his style. It's, he, he is also uh, one of the people who is, they say, the founder of that digital photography look, right? Have you heard that? I have. And I think that's just because of the movement, the... Yeah. The raw spontaneity that he's able to capture, which hadn't really happened before. Yeah, it feels iPhone-ish. I hate to say that, but... What does that a, even mean? Well, it feels like you could snap it, like if you put on your setting on a black and white and you have a really, really beautiful composition, you can kind of capture... It's that moment where you're you're running running through the street and you could, you're moving with your camera and you snap. And I'm not saying that's like, that it's worse and then that's not a negative thing. Because I feel like uh, it's hard to take a good picture no matter what. And the problem is today, in general, everybody thinks they're a photographer. You, you know what I mean? Everybody's doing selfies. Everyone's taking a picture. Everyone feels that they're talented. And there's not 
it's not really realistic. They're delusional. The reality is that photography is also involves composition, value, color, design, texture, you know, atmosphere. There's a lot of stuff that you also have to consider being a photographer. Back in the days when he was doing it, it's the F-spot. It's the shutter speed. It's the developing. He's developing it with chemicals in the studio. I did that. When I went to the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, we started, you know, I started, I did a photography class with uh, Paul Jasmine, who was a very famous fashion photographer. And we had to learn how to develop film. So like, I understand there's a lot in that. And, and now uh, it looks like an iPhone, but the reality is he's dealing with temperature and exposure and light and saturation and value. And now everybody can just pick up a phone and become a photographer. But even so, it's amazing because I realize how much of a shitty photographer I am. Like, you know what I mean? It's hard. So, like, I don't even take my photograph sometimes. I feel like my daughter takes way better photographs. I'm like, yeah, no, you, I always go, no, no, you take the photograph. And I get nervous and anxious when I'm out somewhere and they're like, excuse me, can you take a photograph of us? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to fuck this up. <laughs> I did, why well, don't ask me? I'm like, yeah, sure, I could do that. And, like, you think because I'm an artist, I know how to use a camera, but I actually, it's hard. Yeah, it's a different beast. And I do think that this connection between, the iPhone accessibility of the camera and what Winogrand was doing is appropriate because he shot with a Leica camera, which is very portable, and he would pre-focus it. So he just walked around and took haphazard shots. So he really waited until the world unfolded in front of him. Mm. And people have described him as his photography as being a tender assault to the streets. And I love that because wow. it's true that he is he's taking from his subjects because there's no sense of exchange or acceptance. He didn't ask my great aunt if he could photograph her. And so in that respect, right. it is a little bit exploitative. Sure. But it so that's the assault. Well, that's but, the that's the American Indian tradition of when you take a picture of somebody, you steal their soul. You know. So right. you gotta be careful with that. Like I you know, remember as my daughter was so cute as a little kid. Everyone would be like, just taking photos. I'd be like, you can't just take photo of my daughter. Like, dude, you're, you're fucking weirdo. Like, get away. Like, and, and there's an energy about that that you feel like you're stealing the energy or the soul or the spirit of somebody. Totally. There's so if an you exchange. do do that, you're hijacking a moment. Yeah, I agree. And I do think that art is about an exchange of power, either between the artist and the subject or between the subject and the viewer. And that becomes really profound when it's in a photographic medium because some it's hard to paint a portrait of somebody without their knowledge or consent but it's easy to take a photograph of a little girl as you say or of three women walking down the street and the fact that he just took this there is kind of made money on it and made money off of it true so there's a whole other level of exploitation but to me that's where the assault comes in and the exploitation but it is tender because he didn't disrupt. He was there to understand the world. And so many changes were going on around him. And I think that his intention was really to know the world, to know right. himself through using the world as a lens. Well, uh, that being said, what is a new documentary? Because this, this uh, review, this biopic is in alignment with the new biography that's coming out, right? Isn't there a new film that's coming out about him? Oh, yeah. That's the uh, the documentary that I haven't actually seen. I tried to, but it's not really playing excessively in LA yet, but it's called okay. All Things Are Photographable. Okay. So everybody uh, who listens to this, check out 
uh, Gary Winogrand. That's W-I-N-O-G-R-A-N-D. <laughs> all things are photographable. And by the way, not all things are photographable. You know what I mean? But oh, yeah? Tell me what's not photographable. I don't know. I, Manny is not <laughs> photographable. He's definitely... That little uh, liar. That little freaking liar. Mentiroso. So check him out. Oh, uh, can I talk about the zoo series? Because I said there were two projects that were worth looking yeah, into. One, yeah. Women Are Beautiful, and then the other, the zoo photographs, which are just these revelations. And for sure, when I studied them, I thought that they were manipulated, but now I'm not so sure. So he would photograph people walking around in the Central Park Zoo. And there's this, it reminds me of 101 Dalmatians, that little opening montage where people seem to get dogs that look like them. And it's true. It's amazing. My cat totally looks like me with this crazy mane. My cat is very beautiful. So what I love about this series is that the people that he photographs in front of the animals, they totally look like the animals. There's this one Mm -hmm. rhinoceros and a woman who is very short and stout and just kind of unfortunate looking with these stylized 60s cat glasses. And she just looks kind of stodgy and implacable. And she's right in front of the rhinoceros who looks the exact same way. Mm. And then there's another one, this greaser guy who seems to come totally out of the T-Bird era. He is putting the moves on some cute chick. And they're right in front of coyotes. And so this coyote is approaching the couple. And I see this allegiance between the coyote and the greaser dude, that there's some kind of predatory element to the way that they're approaching their prey. And it's fun. There's so much humor in a lot of these works. And there's one that's more political. It's a couple, and they are walking in the zoo holding a monkey mm-hmm. dressed in little baby clothes. Mm-hmm. It's, a black, it's a black man and a white woman. Exactly, a black man and a white woman. And at the time... Being in an interracial couple was enough of a spectacle. And so I mentioned that the streets become so fiercely politicized at this moment. And this couple, they were using that kind of visibility that they would have as a way to call attention and activism to this crazy prejudice that people have against interracial coupling. Yeah, I think zoos are a horrible place uh, and a personal note, a absolute tragedy that animals have to be confined to such a place. And as you could see by the elephant uh, demonstrating what's called stereotypies, which are walking back and forth, you could see that they've actually gone insane because they need space to move. So uh, I feel like there's an aspect of that. And, and the zoo that he photographed was a Central Park Zoo, which I grew up on, you know, in New York as a kid. I went to the Central Park Zoo forever many times. And, you know, looking at those photographs and looking back at my memories and my own visual reflections, I could remember how horribly sad those animals were. So there's a sadness that I think, even though there's a humor there, like, but maybe that's sad too, like that these people look like those animals because those animals are so uncomfortable and they're just limited to such a little amount of space out of their habitat that if those people look like those animals, how much sadness do those people also have? That being said, on that note, peace out.